Today's episode of the Strength Talk podcast, hosted by UpDoc Media, is brought to you by the Arc from Verve. If you want to improve your posture, the Arc has you covered. Developed by a physical therapist, designed by an engineer, made in the USA, the Arc is going to improve your posture and relieve that neck and back pain once and for all. What is up, guys? Welcome to the brand new Strength Doc podcast, hosted by UpDoc Media, with me, Dr. John Russin. I want to get one thing clear. This is not going to be your average fitness podcast, and I'm sure as hell not your run-of-the-mill strength coach. What's going on, guys? Dr. John Russin back with a brand new episode of Strength Talk Podcast, hosted by UpDoc Media. We got a killer episode today with my guest, Alexander Cortez of EliteFTS and MountainDogDiet.com. Alexander is one of the brightest minds in the fitness industry, and he's working with a number of clients, both in person and online. He's also one of the most entertaining and outspoken people that have knowledge behind what they say and what they write about. Let's get right into this episode today with Alexander Cortez. What's going on, guys? Dr. John Russin back with the Strength Doc Podcast hosted by UpDoc Media. Today, we have prolific elite FTS columnist and Mountain Dog Diet coach, Alexander Cortez with us. What's going on, man? How you doing, John? I'm doing good, and I'm excited that we finally connected to get you on this podcast because I know we we're rolling with schedules back and forth for the last couple months, so yes. I'm so happy to sit down with you today. Oh, likewise, brother, likewise. Now, I don't think a lot of people realize this. You know, they see your name. It's very polarizing in our industry. I mean, it seems like you're everywhere all the time, Facebook, social media, but I don't think a lot of people realize that you started out as a dancer, right? Yeah, I was, um, my, my original plan, this is going back to when I was in high school, you know, adolescence, I wanted to be a professional ballet dancer, and uh, my, my actual, my bachelor's is actually in um, performance choreography and production. So it was. Uh, I, I never planned on obviously being in the you know the fitness industry by any stretch, you know, at least back at that point. I mean, that's as uh, maybe as far away from fitness as you could possibly get. Um, you know, honestly, I think it's pretty close, just in the sense that dancing as a whole, if you really study it and get like as I say, you get really deep with it. You know, to use that term, you really, really dive into the. I guess you'd say the cognitive psychosomatic aspects of movement and then also from an observational standpoint as a trainer since obviously I've been a personal trainer now so that's the only thing I've ever done for personal training and, and dancing when you're a dancer especially a choreographer you're constantly watching movement so from around the age of like arguably right basically I'd say around the age of 16 I was always watching bodies move from you know, I guess you could say like that coaching perspective so by the time I actually got to training people you know, and obviously in a, in a gym setting, watching exercise and instructing exercise that came pretty naturally. It was not, um, it was not like a paradigm challenge. It's something to look at the body differently and realize, like, oh man, I have to learn how to, you know, teach a squat or understand the you know, the mechanics of hip hinging. I've never thought about this before. I I was within that mindset for a fairly long time. You know, preceding that, so it's carried over well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, movement is movement at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And I think some of the best coaches out there, they have this keen eye for a pristine movement pattern, no matter whether it's dancing or a max loaded deadlift. Yes. Yeah, no, that's something, I mean, not to cut you off, but yeah, no, movement, what I call like, you know, the purity of movement or it has become popular lately, like the concept of flow, you know, that's sort of become like a new thing, like, you know, like sort of like the movement natural kind of stuff. That... You, I don't know if you you can train someone to observe movement really well, but there there's sort of an intuitive there's an intuitive sensibility to watching good movement, and then also when you have trained at a level where you've you've moved a lot yourself, you know the you, you know you know both the external and internal factors that accompany that sort of performance state. So, yeah, and I could definitely see uh, having just that eye for good movement, and then putting the knowledge base that you've really come down with the last five years or so working in your trade, those yeah. two things together can be a powerful thing for producing results for your clients and athletes. Yes, yeah, no, absolutely. That's something that, uh, I, I think that's something that as I, I want to say a veteran, so I haven't been doing this so, so long, you know, compared to you know, other people, but you know, when, the longer you do something, 
and you know having that like you said like that perspective that eye you can you can derive results you can derive performance out of clients much more readily that than you know someone within like their you know year one two three yeah and it comes with anything mastery you know mm -hmm. getting the time in the trenches whether that just be watching movement or actually coaching people with specific cues or even with a lot of what you do right now is just have some baller programming that really makes the difference for some top level people that are already having good success, but just want to take that next step. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that at, at, at a higher level, I'll say for, for someone that for, for training a novice, so to speak, or a beginner, you know, a noob, that that's, that's a lot of his understanding instruction, you know, being able to meet somebody, talk to them, get a very solid grasp and, understand you know comprehension of the personality and how they learn and then obviously you instruct you cue you actually you know you show exercise for someone that's at a higher level or just at a higher let's say a more developed knowledge base um just i mean relative to the clients i work with at, on that end it's not so much the instruction per se it's how they conceptualize it so you get you end up getting a lot into like you, you get a lot into like epistemology and ontology where you're really looking you're trying to get inside their head you know like see through their eyes of how they're actually you know, perceiving what they're reading when you, you know, speak to them, when you write to them, you know, how they perceive their own movement. Um, and I mean, that's something you can get like, very, again, you can get very deepity with. You know, you can, that's like a big long rabbit hole to discuss. But uh, that I think, that, that makes a difference on the long-term continuum as to how far the person is going to continue to progress. I think so too. And, you know, as you say, like newbies will do very well with some basic cueing, some basic programming. But as you've seen, uh, I think a lot of people put a lot of emphasis on the programs themselves as opposed to the execution. Because when yes. you get to a top level athlete or even an intermediate level athlete, no matter what their training goal is, if they're able to properly execute, all of a sudden uh, your programming, the emphasis that you put on the movement and then the little intricacies of every single aspect of that program become exp uh, exponentially more important. Yeah, no, that's very true. You know, one th one thing that we keep in mind with, I guess you'd say performance, and you know, especially at the intermediate or you know, whatever you'd call you know the advanced level, the the quality of execution in the quality of execution impacts the effect the effectivity of the program far more than the quantity of work within the program truly. So I mean, I mean, just, you know, something basic like, um, you know, I mean, even you know, to say, take for example, someone that wants to get their deadlift up, you know, let's say squat, deadlift, bench press, and they're already at like a, you know, you know, three times, you know, body weight, two and a half times body weight. That's a very strong person. You know, when you look at the programming for those individuals, you know, this is relative to the powerlifting. You're not seeing anything that's truly complicated or arcane in regards to the program design. But when you watch them execute the work. That's where the quality really comes through. It's like, oh, you know, it's it's not because the program is so complicated they are this strong, but that performance that they're you know putting forth every time they go to train, that's just at a different level. You know, and developing that within somebody, it's it's not just a matter of you know physical strength and getting them stronger that way, even though that's obviously a large aspect of it. It's also their mentality and how they're applying themselves to the training on a weekly basis. Hundred percent. And uh, to speak more about powerlifting. Yeah. Are a majority of your clients in powerlifting, bodybuilding, just general fitness? Uh, where do your clients lie? Uh, the majority are in general, general fitness. I have I, I don't pretend to be a powerlifting coach. I, I leave that to the people that obviously that is their specialty. Um, general fitness. I also work with a number of personal trainers, honestly, which has happened in the last, I guess you'd say, like a year and a half or so. Where it's just, you know, it's people that have, you know, sort of read articles, read posts, you know, just sort of seen me, like I guess you could say, within the general social media sphere. And then, you know, they've reached out wanting to, wanting to improve the quality of their training practice, but also wanting to, you know, obviously improve, you know, their own, you know, physical training and, you know, nutrition. So I work with a, a fair number of people on that end. And that's, a, that's something that I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it, or, you know, that market, you could say. Yeah, you know, it has made me realize that there is a need in the industry for, a continuum of training education since, for, you know, for a lot of people, PTs especially, personal trainers get into this, past a certain point of initial, you know, minor success, there's not a lot of direction of, as to where, you, where to take yourself, either, either career-wise, professionally, or even, you know, personally. 
So it's a lot of coaching on that aspect, you know, versus just showing them how to get someone to exercise better. Yeah, and that's definitely one of the best kept secrets in the fitness industry is a lot of high level coaching goes on between coaches. It's yes. not just clients and coaches having that communication and that interaction. Mm -hmm. uh, even on our side of things at uh, John Russell Fitness Systems, we do a lot of coaching for physical therapists and strength and conditioning coaches on their particular program so they can execute it with their own bodies. They can get results from it, but then they can use that knowledge base and how it felt to them for their athletes and their clients. That's awesome. I know like, like physical therapy is a... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I've had clients that are physical therapists, and I, I think from a personal trainer perspective, physical therapy gets idolized in a way. Of you know, obviously, physical therapists have you know much more. They have a much more developed educational base. You know, in regards to you know the school the schooling they go through and all that. But I know, having trained physical therapists, the knowledge base, the, the, the overall knowledge base of physical therapy, it's not so set in stone. You know, there, there are different schools of thought in physical therapy. There are different models of practice. There are different modes of, there are different modes and methods of how you implement, you know, the therapy in regards to, you know, the clientele. And just with the clients I've had, I always found, I always found that interesting since, you know, from the external perspective, it's, you, you'd assume, oh, physical therapy must be very, you know, solidified in regards to what you do with clients. Not really. Physical therapists go through the same struggles personal trainers go through in regards to, you know, am I doing this right? Am I implementing this correctly is what I'm doing really working for the reasons I think it's working, you know, and there's, and there, like I said, there's deferring schools of thought I know in physical therapy in regards to what constitutes therapy. So that of itself, like that, that field as a whole, you know, even though, like I said, the education is much higher, you can draw a lot of parallels between the two. So there, there's, there's a lot of learning obviously that can take place. I think you said that really nicely, but what you want to say is when it comes to training, strength and conditioning and hypertrophy, physical therapists don't know shit. You could say that. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to agree. So that's definitely something that we agree upon. But you nailed it. I mean, we have a high level of education. I mean, you're coming out with a doctorate. You have yeah, eight it, years of education under your belt. But it's so diverse in what you're learning at that academic level that it's really hard unless you go above and beyond in your own education, continuing education, or just practical education mm -hmm. to get a really in-depth knowledge base in strength and conditioning and also in some of these niches of the strength field. Yeah, no, I, that, that's very true. I mean, like you said, physical therapists, like the one thing that always surprised me about physical therapy is, you know, like... The way I've always coined it, physical therapists, they can assume, let's say, assume you go to a physical therapist. This I'm generalizing, and you know, you've had some sort of, you know, let's say, joint neuromuscular injury. They can get you back to some degree of, you could say, uh, I don't even know what you call it, like, you know, they can get you back to some degree of like normal function, but they're not going to get you to a degree of performance. You know, like they're they're just not. Like I, well, the majority of physical therapists that I've met. I'm always very surprised by the fact that when it comes to like hypertrophy and when it comes to, you know, energy systems, all the, you know, like a lot of these more basic concepts of uh, strength and conditioning, they're utterly clueless about it. And then, you know, at the same time, I, I've met physical therapists where they're very adverse to the idea of like, you know, building muscle in general. Like they don't want clients to lift weights, which I find, you know, very fucking bizarre. You know, I mean, you see, if, you, if you look at the, at, the, at the clinical science of aging all that, you know, like this to be you know, very uh, remedial, a decline in lean body mass, a decline in muscle, that's directly tied to a, a host of degenerative symptoms as you age. You know, so you, you have a profession that, you know, sort of prides itself on, okay, we can get people moving healthy again. You know, but then you bring up something like, oh, well, how do you build muscle? Uh, I don't really know. You know, screw, don't, you know, you don't need to lift weights, don't do that. But, you know, at the same time, but then you have clinical research, a large body of it that says you want to maintain muscle mass as you age. You know, there's a lot of, you know, logical gaps, you know, within that thinking that I somehow just get overlooked by, you know, I guess like the majority of the field. I, I agree. And it's a fucking shame because these are people, for the most part, that have an in-depth knowledge base of exercise science. Majority of people came out with an exercise science or kinesiology degree before they went into doctorate studies. But oh, all yeah. of a sudden, everyone became too fucking fancy with all of their academia to produce basic results and basic things like you're talking about, like hypertrophy, just for health and wellness benefits, you know, mm -hmm. systemic medicine. This stuff is very important. 
And I don't know whether it's a systems problem, an individual problem, an educational problem, but I've definitely seen that separation uh, from like uh, all of the traditional base physical therapists and then this little niche of like these hybrid strength coach physical therapy people that really get it, but they're yeah. going against the grain. I like to think that I'm one of those people, but mm -hmm. it's definitely tough in the physical therapy profession to be like, well, no, I'm a strength and conditioning professional as well. And mm -hmm. people always revert back to it like, oh, no, you're a physical therapist. You, you don't do healthy people. It's that yeah. big misconception. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that's unfortunate. I mean, I think, I mean, I might be, this could be an overestimation on my part, but I think relative to most of the fitness medical professions, there's, there, there's a general trend of educational absolutism in a lot of fields. I mean, I could even talk about, you know, like, you know, MDs and DOs, which, yeah, I'd be overstepping my boundaries on that, but I do have some experience with, you know, doctor, with doctors on that end. But, you know, obviously people, they get these, obviously they go through the schooling, they get the education, but it, educa education and, and knowledge is not taught, so to speak, as a continuum per se. It's it's sort of taught as sort of like boxes. You know, and you can know you can be familiar with a very large box, but nothing falls outside that box. So it gets people into this, you know, mode of thinking where everything that they know or the way that anything has to be practiced, it comes down to either it's this way or it's that way. Either it's yes or it's no. Either either you're this or you're that. And it really limits further learning since essentially you're just cutting off your own perspective. Yeah, yeah, like it's, yeah it's and hard. it's definitely one of those things that if you can just go black or white with something, you're not forwarding your field, whatever field you may be. Nope. Whenever you take something, whether it be an article, a research study, or even practical application from something that you see in the gym, mm -hmm. you need to first look at it and you need to conceptualize it, and then you need to compare it to what you currently know and what you currently believe in. It always needs to be that process. It's not just like, oh, no, fuck that. It's not what I believe. You actually need to be educated about it, learn about it, and then see where it may fit in or where it's not going to fit into your current methodology, and it's going to be different for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, it's something, I mean, I talk about context a lot, you know, since, and that's kind of become a new thing even in the field of psychology, not to hop over on that, but like, I always ask that question, you know, what's the context of, one, what's the context that this, you know, let's say, you know, uh, the context that the, you know, the research, what's the context of, you know, the training, what's the context of the practice, you know, and, and what environment did this take place in that made it relevant? Let's look at that first. You know, so what, you know, what's the context environment? Then let's look at the context in regards to what I do, since if I, I might do something different. A lot of research that happens in the field of physical therapy you know, I'll readily say I'm not qualified to read those studies. You know, I could probably get them to some degree since I do have some, you know, experience with obviously, you know, scientific, you know, method and writing all that. But I'm not going to pretend to be like an expert in reading papers. You know, so it could happen that, a, you know, a study might be something that's completely beyond my, you know, abilities to comprehend fully. And at the same time, is that study really relevant to what I'm doing? You know, I mean, you could get into how research gets done, you know, for hours and hours. A lot of the way research gets performed in the United States, it's it's very minute. You're focusing on little small mechanisms in a very controlled environment. You know, you can readily inflate percentages if you know how to lie with statistics to make something look really fucking important. You know, so you can take a paper and then throw it out into the training world or physical therapy world, and everyone you know goes into a hoorah about it. And then you actually look at what was really talked about. You know, beyond sort of the you know the scientism bullshit, it's fucking nothing. You know, like, I mean, I, I could make up a study right now where, you know, I mean, I, you, with enough jargon and, you know, and language, I could make something up and say, you know, I found out that, you know, your, uh, you know, your adductors, you know, don't fire readily when there's, you know, ex, you know, external internal force applied to, you know, the valgus, you know, claps the knee, some bullshit, bullshit, and be like, oh, wow, man, this could be real important for BMO training, all that. And it, it could be in that study there. I was, I was just kicking someone in their knee, you know, and... They couldn't squat when I was doing that. No kidding. If I know if I know language well enough and I know statistics well enough, I could completely dress that up and throw it out there. I know I could, and people would latch onto it, and there would be a bunch of arguments about it. Yeah, I just had the same conversation today. I was on the phone with another strength coach, and we were saying that some of the best research—I mean, it's few and far between. Mm -hmm. The best research research comes out from guys that really have the best questions from practical application. Oh, you know, there you go. I, I, I think about a guy like Brett Contreras coming out, and he's literally lifted everything there is 
to lift. <laughs> He's programmed for millions of clients at this point. He has mastered his own body and he has the questions to ask and then he gets them answered in research. It's not the other way around. It's not, you know, these geeky dudes sitting in a lab conceptualizing strength training, you know, when they have seven inch biceps, you know? Mm-hmm. But no, that, that, <laughs> no, I, I agree completely. I mean, that's something where a general you know, people talk about being all about the science. You know, that's a real popular. I'm very, you know, science and evidence based. You know, if you're all about not, the science, you're going to be ten years behind in practical application. Well, I, you know, it's not just that. It's, I think it's it's the philosophy of you know what is science. You know, what is scientific thinking? Because scientific thinking is not confined to, you know, a, a, a scientist in a lab and in a, in, a, in a coat. You know, scientific thinking is just a way of inquiry where you observe something, and then you can come up with a theory. You know, but it's it's through observation first. Yeah, I think that gets forgotten upon. You know, not to get, you know, sort of Aristotle. Like, you know, not to like go Aristotle on this, but you know, if you look at like, let's just say you look at the ancient Greeks and like, you know, what what came, you know, how scientific thought arose. It was observation first. It was observation of phenomena. It was observation of you know things that were taking place, and then it was theorizing or thinking about why that might be so. The thing that's happened in the last ten years, arguably, with the training industry, is that that's been reversed. It's not about observing an application or observing in the actual environment it's about trying to come up with shit you know that it sort of almost come up with knowledge out of a vacuum and then correct or you know essentially put down what actually is taking place in practice and it, knowledge does not come out of a vacuum you know thinking that you can sort of outsmart the environment outsmart you know application or, or just sort of outsmart people that are actually training people you can't you know, like you're just gonna come up with a bunch of irrelevant bullshit most of the time. Now, when when it comes down to your coaching, your methods, uh, you know, you're working with Elite FTS, you're working with our friend John Meadows over at Mountain Dog Diet. I I tend to think of you as somebody that is ten years ahead of the science. And if you were to say like one or two things that you're currently doing with your training methodologies that may conflict with what we're currently seeing in the science, what would those be? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't, I'll really say I wouldn't pretend to be ahead of the science, so to speak. I think. I don't if know, I, man. I, yeah. I see a <laughs> lot of stuff and uh, I agree wholeheartedly <laughs> with some of these methods. I, I guess, okay, I'll, I'll say it. I'll, <laughs> I'll say it this way: if I, if I was if I was to be ahead of something, you know, if I was to say that, it would be that I I was able to I've, I've been able to get a perspective that's more longevity based. One that's there, so it gives me a little bit of like you could say a little more mature perspective on what I'm doing, you know, just as a whole. You know, in regards to specific things, um, I, I think the concept of of biofeedback that that's one. I'll say that it's kind of it, it biofeedback in regards to you know. So I guess in clinical practice anywhere in medicine, it's kind of a nebulous concept since it's acknowledged as obviously the body's, you know, obviously the body's so intuitive, you know, signaling being important. At the same time, that gets ignored a lot in regards to, you know, just medicine, physical therapy, and like a lot of stuff as a whole. You know, so I, I guess I could say, I, I'll say I'm ahead on that, um, you know, just in the sense that that's something I, I know most professionals don't truly pay attention to. Or they do, but they don't think about it in a systemized fashion. Uh, pro probably something else I would say: the cognitive environment and and motor learning. You know, and this gets into like the epistemology. I'll, I'll say I'm ahead on that. I, I do take pride in the fact that I can teach people really well, really fast, and at a very high level. And that gets you know into knowing like the sort of the mental environment the learning takes place in. Uh, that's just another area that's doesn't get talked about a lot. It's sort of like it's it's a synthesization of different subjects. You know, it's one of those you know like you know cross application. But I, again, I think in the next ten years that will be more heavily researched and looked upon, and probably you know formalized into being something that you need to study if you are going to be professional in this industry. So yeah, so I, I, those would be two. You know, biofeedback, and then you know you know, learning environment in regards to, you know, motor learning and then cognitive environment. Yeah. And how are you implementing, uh, the biofeedback with your current clients? Mm, that's actually pretty simple. Um, though I have a criteria of just basic, just 10, ten very basic things that I think probably any, you know, psychiatrist and, you know, any, 
you know, decent doctor, you know, MDDO would agree upon. It's just, you know, look at, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll create a training program. I'll, you know, create like a baseline diet. Then I'll just ask them, there's 10 things I want you to be aware of. I want you to be aware of, you know, your sleep, quality and quantity. I want you to be aware of daily energy throughout the day. I want you to be aware of digestion with the meals. I want you to let me know how your, you know, your, your joints feel. You know, this joint, this general sort of movability with the body. You know, then a hair, skin, and nail health, hair, skin, and nail health. Yeah, I think that's indicative of this overall general health. You know, in a lot of areas. Be aware of that. You know, also being aware of tra- you know training performance. You know, are you excited to train? Are you not excited to train? You know, how how do the workouts of the are the workouts of themselves? How are those going? You know, tell me about your training performance. You know, then and then recovery wise, how are you? You know, rec- how are you feeling the recovery? Are you you know, feeling recuperated within 24 hours, 48 hours. Are you getting a lot of delayed onset muscle soreness? You know, let me know about that. And then, you know, just general stress levels. Yeah, I mean, and that can be, you know, very broad and very deep, but, you know, relative to outside, relative outside of what we're doing with, you know, obviously exercise and food, you know, how's overall stress in regards to, you know, let's say work, you know, family, emotional stress, how are you handling that? And then, I don't necessarily ask, I don't necessarily tell the clients to, you know, give me, you know, a one to 10 answer on everything every single day. But by creating that awareness, it's something that I found with many, many, many people, people just don't think about most of those things. You know, and it sounds kind of like, well, how could you not think about that? The general public at large and most trainees at large, they do things with a sort of in reactionary, in a, in a reactionary sense. They go to train, they go to eat, they hope it works. You know, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. There's not necessarily a lot of conscious thought given to their body and the quality of the work they're doing and, you know, their overall sort of, you could say, you know, need state. That's just, it's not thought of oftentimes. And, you know, even, and like I said, you know, when you start asking these questions, people start getting more aware of like, oh, you know what? Like I've had numerous times, this easy example, you know, with digestion. I've had a lot of clients discover they don't digest certain things well. And I'm not going to say, oh, well, they have a food allergy and all that kind of stuff. But I'll just tell them, okay, you know, if this isn't digesting well and you're realizing this now, let's just take that out of the diet. You know, if, if we're trying to optimize diet, anything that's not digesting well or is making you feel sluggish or you're crashing from, we can remove that from the diet. So, you know, we can find, you know, better food. We can find out what we, we can find out the foods that really help our body perform and we can take out the things that don't. That's simple. You know, it's simple stuff, like you're saying. I mean, these are 10 simple concepts, but when you put them all together like you've done and just had people think about them, even if it's in the back of their mind during their training sessions or when they're going to bed at night, you know, the simplest things, if you can actually, you know, put maybe a, a number on them from a day to day or just be thinking about it enough to the point where you can communicate back with your coach and mm-hmm. make some intelligent modifications, that's the key. But I our society just majors in the minor bullshit instead of taking care of things as basic as sleep, nutrition, hydration, stress levels, you know, how hard are you, you're able to train, how are you feeling on a daily basis. It drives me crazy. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, the thing with, with – with, yeah, that's – the thing that gets me that just – I can't fucking understand it is that obviously we have a society you could say at large is very sick, very overweight, very unhealthy – but then there's this mode of thinking, like within training, where it's like, yeah, I mean, just like very, you know, you, the stuff you've heard before, you know, like, you know, no pain, no gain. Your body's lying to you. You know, you, uh, you, you know your mind, your mind should, you know, your your body should break before your mind ever does. And like, and, and it, it's very, and I, I get where that comes from. Where you know, it's hardcore sounding. You know, obviously, like it implies, like, yeah, I'm gonna fucking push, and like that's like that attitude. Like I get, that's fine. You know, but in regards to helping people, you know, get healthy. Or just helping people with their overall training, that, that, that's the completely backwards attitude. You can't tell people that their body's lying to them and to ignore it, and at the same time bring someone in front of you and be like, "Well, you know, your, your movements are fucked up and you're in pain, and you know, you, your general enthusiasm for life is shitty, but your body's lying to you. Don't don't worry about your body. It's because of because of what? You know, that that does not follow at all. It's completely illogical." Well, that's what our mainstream society, you know, watching things like The Biggest Loser, Jillian Michaels spewing this shit all over the place. People literally think they either have to go fucking balls to the wall and kill themselves or they're going to sit on the couch and eat potato chips. There's nothing in between and there's no there's no intelligent way to go about making modifications on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis. It's either all or none and most people are going down to that none. 
Yep. Yeah, I mean, that's I, I, I've talked about this before, but you know, moderate like minimalism, minimalism and moderation and extremism. That's a perspective of, of scale. You know, one person's extreme can be another person's minimal. You know, so, so when you take the, you know, you take those ways of thinking where it's like, you know, like you said, like, like I said before, it's absolutism. It's all or nothing. It's either this or this. And then you try to apply it to everybody. Like you said, one, you have no room to adjust. Two, most of the time people have no room to even learn anything since they're just being pounded with shit, you know, whether it be exercise or information or just overall minutia that doesn't really fit into any paradigm of, you know, context of knowledge. And then, you know, you're, you're creating, you're saying things up that way. Well, there's no progression. What's the continuum? You know, like when you take a client in year one to year five, you have to start, you know, anything that's more than what they're doing is going to be, you know, double what they're doing. You know, I'm screwing up the percentage. You know, it's not even the percentages. If you're, if you're starting from zero and then you start doing something, that represents a massive increase. It does. You know, if I take a client that's completely untrained and I haven't trained one day a week, Holy, the, the, well, if they weren't trained before, holy shit, by power of magnitude, that's a massive increase. Five years later, the changes are going to be more minor, you know, but that's over five years. You know, but if I take a new client or I take a new newbie trainer and I try and blast them with workouts and this ex excess or I try and blast them with, you know, faux knowledge and minutia, they're not going to know where the hell they're supposed to go. They're not going to, and none of it's going to even make an impact anyway. It's going to mean nothing ultimately. It's going to be information overload, or it's going to be exercise overload, or both. And they're going to drop out, or quit, or just you know essentially throw up their hands and say, "I can't do this," which is what happens to a lot of people. Absolutely. What are your thoughts on you know you have a, a really great client and you've been working with them for a long time, you know, they're really educated, they really take in the communication with you, they get the most out of their training. Mm -hmm. Is your goal to set them free and have them go and use their knowledge that you gave to them? Or do you believe that they always need somebody to be, you know, spitballing with and getting fresh programming from? Um, I, would, I would say both, you know, in a manner of speaking. You know, anyone that does this, for a while and arguably gets to a high level, you you can obviously you can figure out a lot on your own and you can be very self-directed and some people are great at learning by themselves. But you need at least you not like I said, not, knowledge does not come out of a vacuum. So even if you're training a lot, you know, in regards to clients and you have like a lot of experiential, you know, experience application. That was a double negative. Experiential. <laughs> uh, that's, if you have if you have experiential experience, that makes no sense. Jesus. <laughs> so yeah, sounded anyway. good. Yeah, it sounds it sounds really smart. You know, that's that's what's important. Um, <laughs> no, but I mean, if you have someone that say like you know, like I said, like you're, you're a great client, they're doing well, and you know, the communication's excellent. I have had people that I've cut free, so to speak, where I don't necessarily program for them anymore, but we always keep a running dialogue going. Since so it just goes back to that thing where I, you know, they want to talk to someone that is a little bit more experienced than them, or can offer just a different perspective than them, and you know, it helps their knowledge base base grow. Since you know, at, at a certain point, everyone's kind of doing the same things, arguably, in regards to what the basics are, but it, it's how you think about them that really, you know, separates. I guess someone that's you could say like you know very masterful from this being very good. Absolutely, and I think there's a lot of different niches in the fitness industry. Uh, and even some of the best coaches, the best athletes out there, they're always seeking out knowledge from somebody who just has a powerful niche in one little area where mm -hmm. they could maybe improve uh, their own programming themselves, the way they take care of their body. I've seen that a lot, especially in the last five years or so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing where, it, you know, see, once you get past, like you said, you progress to the basics, seeking out various specialists. That's a, that, that usually will oftentimes be like be, it will be helpful for that reason where you can find that person where you know within that one domain they are, are they, they've not discovered everything there is to know but they've learned it at such a level where they can really give you some this much grander insight than you would ever get on your own and so obviously no one person can be a specialist or, or master of all things you know there, there is no such thing it'd be you'd be God it'd be an omniscient perspective. You know, so I mean, we all have our things that we are stronger and weaker at. You know, so, so, so seeking in to fill in the gaps from somebody where they made, you know, your particular gap, their specialty, always will be helpful. Now, what do you think uh, a majority of your current clients are coming to you for? What is your one specialty, if you were to nail it down? 
the majority that come to me are typically I have very good clients in the sense that it's usually it's it's nutrition and diet it, it specialty wise it's pretty much hypertrophy like I, I am very good at putting muscle on people yeah you know, in both from a general you know from a general you know general uh, population perspective even you know up to intermediate you know arguably advanced perspective I I, I get that well um, in regards to like why they seek me out, it, they, I, they're always really great, the clients I have. And they, it's someone where they want to, you know, they, they want to hire someone to help them out. You know, they want, they seek me out. But they've got a very great mental openness. They're very, they're very open to learning. You know, it's very uncommon that I get somebody where they come to me and are like, hey, I want you to help me with nutrition and diet and I don't want to have to think about it. That, that doesn't really happen. It's always people where they, they want me to help them but they also want to learn along the way. And those are the so, best clients. Yeah, I, so I, I always get very, uh, I, I always get very student-minded people. I would say, in that regard. Those are my favorite clients. Uh, you know, I don't care if you're a professional athlete or if you're, you know, a 12-year-old that plays the piano. Like, it doesn't matter to me as long as uh, people have an open mind to learn and conceptualize things that we're doing it's not just like all right another day at the gym let's go sweat and let's get out of here like if you want to do that like go jump on a fucking treadmill for an hour but if you actually want to learn something that's going to better off your life your body your health for the longevity of your life like you need to put something into it it has to be more of a focus process it does yeah, I mean, th th things, I, I've said this before in, in different realms, but the things that last and the things that we take with us and that stick are the things that are meaningful. And th that perspective and of you know not wanting to know, not caring to learn about something, but wanting it done, that doesn't usually get maintained past a certain point. You know, e even for someone that's very advanced or you know, someone that's a total beginner, when you don't want to know how something works or, or even this, the semblance of this having to ha – having, even the semblance of setting it up yourself, it's not going to mean a whole lot. You know, the, th the things that people do are the things that are meaningful. You know, flat out. You know, our daily habits and the, our daily routines and you know the reason why we train, it means something to us. If you don't want that to mean anything, but you still want to do it at a high level, again, it's 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 a big gap. It's not it's not going to play out well in the long term. Building that glass house. Essentially, it's—I mean—it's going to shatter very easily. You know, you're going to be tiptoeing through it, and then the first—you know—the first—you know—the first, you know, first, you know, first stone that hits it, it's going to crack and shatter the whole thing. Exactly, I couldn't agree more with that. You know, not to backtrack, but I definitely not want to ask you about your transition in your career in the fitness industry. Here, you know, I know you've been training clients for year after year, but mm -hmm. when did you decide that you really wanted to? become a more of a main stage guy, you know, writing with elite FTS, you know, <laughs> coaching with uh, mountain dog, all of that. Uh -huh. Um, I didn't actually, that was, that, that happened. I had to use a very popular term, very organically. I started training in 2009 and so 09, 010, 11, 012, um, 9, 10, 11, 12. And then in 2000, at the end of 2012, I submitted three articles to the FTS um, they ended up doing really well in regards to readership. You know, they ended up being like very popular articles. And I was actually kind of at a low point in my career where I just trained jobs and was trying to rebuild clientele. And uh, I just I wrote, I wrote them kind of as out of like my own personal reflections. Honestly, they weren't technically minded articles, but they did really well. And then Elite FTS this in 2013, they offered, "Hey, would you like to write for us monthly?" We're kind of just testing out this idea of having regular writers contributing to the site. And, you know, we liked your content and, you know, like, well, let's just see how it works out. And they were, I think they were trying to, you know, target sort of like a little bit more of a broader market where, you know, we obviously a lot of powerlifters, you know, that's the majority of the belief TS market, but also, you know, a lot of trainers, a lot of strength and coaches. So let's get someone with kind of like a training perspective. You know, I was like, yeah, sure. Like I'll, I'd be happy to. So I spent the whole year of 2013 just writing, you know, for the site every month. You know, I, I had the two articles that would come out and then, yeah, again, this was not planned. It was not my idea to be a fitness, you know, person that was known at all or, you know, none of the guru stuff. It just so happened that the more I kept writing and then, you know, like, you know, Facebook, the more I would, you know, share training thoughts, I ended up just kind of growing in popularity. Um, just like I said, it's very organically. And then that's how, like, you know, that's how I ended up talking with John, 
you know, John Meadows, like I, it originally was on Facebook. You know, we had some big, big long discussion about hypertrophy and the continuum of progression from beginner to advanced, and then how at the advanced level you're going to have to end up doing more, you know, versus doing less for X, Y, Z reasons. And it was this big long discussion, but he's like, "Wow, like it, it, you know, it was fun. You know, we, it was a very cool discussion." And then later on, I met I met him in November of 2013. We we had dinner together. We talked. You know, we had a great time. I met Mark, obviously. Um, I'd already you know, I'd met the rest of the crew at, at the point. But yeah, again, in, in my head, I never gave any thought to the fact that oh, I hope one day I'm like, you know, I'm a guru in the industry. It, it just came about that people kept contacting me, and then I kept sharing kind of my defaults, and people kept asking me like, "Hey, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? You should talk about this." Okay, okay, why not? You know, and I, I knew that I had the training experience to back it up, since training was you know what I do, you know, so you know at least on that end. And then from that point, it, just, it kind of just took off. And then, uh, you know, same thing in 2014, I ended up taking a trip to India for five months with a client of mine who's a Bollywood actor, and I had to get him real muscular for a role, which I did, and he looked great, like it was a great experience. But that, that made, same thing, it made sort of the audience grow more, since, you know, I was obviously overseas, you know, at that point I'm working for Mountain Dog, I'm, you know, writing for Elite, um, I got a magazine contract, uh, a few of them out of writing for Elite. None of this was ever planned, nor intentional, nor really anything. It, it's only, honest to God, been this past year, 2015, I've actually planned stuff out with you know some degree of strategy in the long term. But yeah, I mean, up until this point, you know, up until the last uh, nine months, I'm not going to say it happened randomly, but uh, it, it was not a goal by any means. Yeah, and if if it's your goal to go and do something you know above and beyond, I don't think anyone ever gets there. I think it happens to the best organically just like it happened to you you were prepared for the opportunity you you got the opportunity and you literally just delivered to the point where people could not uh you know step away from it they they just loved it and you know thing after thing after thing social media is very powerful now so if you have good shit to say people are going to start listening a lot and you know double-edged sword so if you're a stupid idiot and you just have stupid shit to say people are going to easily know that as well so you know social media definitely puts yourself out there but you can get a lot of powerful things done just conversing with other people uh, even when you don't think anyone's watching or listening oh hugely I mean the thing with social media and the thing with social media and even like the articles on stuff I've always I don't take it personally at all you know people are going to disagree with you you're going to they're always going to be chuckle fucks that you know, will come in on Oracle, tell you you're full of shit, fuck you, and then leave. You know, that's, that's going to happen. So, I mean, you, you can't take anything personally. But I took it seriously in the sense where I was like, I thought to myself, you know, on a day-to-day basis, if I'm going to write something that's intent for an audience, it's going to be quality. I'm not going to put out crappy generic information. I'm going to try, I'm going to offer a perspective, I'm going to offer some experience. I'm going to make it multifaceted that people can read it and there will be some discussion to be had. It's not just going to be some generic you know, statement of, you know, you got to be motivated every day to train and, you know, your, your motivation only takes you so far as your desire, you know, that kind of bullshit. I'm like, I, anyone can say that, you know, say something more. And authentic. That's, yeah. The authentic yeah, nature of what you come out with. That's uh, my big takeaway from pretty much everything I read from you. It's something yeah. that's original and authentic to you. Yeah. And then it, there's that. So I, you know, I told myself anything I ever put out content wise, that's for people, it will be good. It will be of me. And then at the same time, anything I write that's article-wise or any interaction I have with anybody that's you know within somewhat you know part of the industry or just in general with someone that's reaching out to talk, always maximize that interaction. You know, pe- people talk about people create these like in America, it's very popular that you have very long-term goals where I have to hit if I can just get to X point, then I'll be satisfied. I'm like that that doesn't come that doesn't happen at all unless on any given day on any given basis, all the interactions you have with clients with potential clients, with fellow professionals, with friends, you always maximize that. Do that to the best of your absolute abilities. You know, like enjoy people, communicate fully, you know, get better, you know, which I could talk about, you know, more so. But you do that and opportunities will come out of the fact that people recognize that one, you value them. Two, that you value yourself, to, you know, to take that time to really do the best you can. You know, you do, if you did that, if you, if for, for 30 days, anyone did something the best that they could and interacted and tried to share it with people. I don't care what it is. After 30 days, you'd have one, some degree of improvement, 
But two, you'd also have, you know, some degree of perspective and, you know, probably even, you know, some people that, you know, admire you for the fact that you're sticking with something, you know, you're, you know, you have that dedication to process, but also that you're trying to, you know, like I said, get better. Yeah. And most people, they get better on a random basis. They don't do it on a conscious basis. And it's again with that experience and just doing the same thing over and over and have a mastery level of whatever you're doing you know, training or anything else in life, literally having the passion to put out something and better yourself in that subject matter, even if it be communication, uh, marketing, whatever it may be, you Mm -hmm. know, for guys like us, we're not great marketers. Uh, We know what we know and we like to think we are very good communicators. And Mm -hmm. I think that has the tendency to go viral when you can communicate your message and your message is authentic. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I mean, and, and truly marketing is essentially, it, it's communication. You know, I, I had a buddy of mine point that out recently, like, well, you know, what makes good marketing? It's someone that, it's, it's, it's something that communicates itself well, you know, at the end of the day. That's essentially what marketing is. Um, yeah, I think a lot of times, I know a lot of times people in the industry, they have that, there's sort of this paradigm of like, you know, that marketing or sales, like, well, that's bad, or like, I want to ask for money, or I, I don't know how to do that. You know, that, that's for somebody else. And, like, I, I disagree. You know, I'll disagree on the point that if you are truly passionate about something, if it means something to you, if you really give a shit and that's what you're about, you shouldn't have a problem selling yourself to somebody. Not because you want money from them, but because of the fact that you're about this, this is what you do, this is who you are as a human being, having someone to interact with and having someone to share that with that shouldn't be a hard sell. You shouldn't be reluctant to tell someone, hey, I can help you. I can do this for you. And so, so that is what you're doing. That is what training or therapy is. Yeah, that, that is what coaching is. At the same point, marketing yourself, you know, that can be a little more nebulous in regards to, well, how do you market? But and, and the basics of it, like I said, it's just I want to communicate something to you and I hope you understand it. Hopefully I can communicate this to a lot of people and hopefully out of that I can help you know, some you know, percentage of them to get to where they want to be and also to improve my own skill set. You know, it's, it's a positive feedback you know, mechanism that goes back and forth. And definitely holding value to what you do. You know, if you truly value what you're bringing to the table, no matter what it is, it's easy to try to communicate that value to other people. And it's not a yes. hard sell. It's nothing like that. What it is is just holding value to what you're giving to somebody and making that be the one thing that if they do spend money on, they're like, man, that's the best fucking hundred dollars I've ever spent. Yeah. I mean, that's something where with, that's with personal training that I've always, I was always very struck with, even like in the first year of my career where I, I would have clients and I talked to them about, you know, you know, what kind of what we're going to do. And I asked them questions and I, I had that comment over and over where someone telling you like, wow, you're really serious about this. You know, like, you know, usually it was people that say, hey, they'd had personal trainers before, or, you know, or maybe they hadn't, but they'd always be surprised at how into it I was. And, you know, that wasn't, and I'm not like a, I'm not like a hyperactive trainer energy-wise, but I was always struck by that statement where, like, they're telling you, you know, you're, you're really serious about, you know, training. And then I'm thinking in my head, why wouldn't I be serious about this? Like, one, you hired me to do this for you, you know, firstly. Two, why would you pay someone money that's, dispassionate about what they're doing you know and then and th- you know, thirdly why would I be doing this if I didn't care about it you know I don't know but that that seems to be kind of a trend in the industry and then when I got into management I really noticed that with trainers I would fire oftentimes since I'd have people in front of me it's like you know why are you training they didn't have a real reason it was just like <laughs> well I, I fell into it I thought it'd be easy money <laughs> I like uh, going to the gym <laughs> I like going to the gym like oh holy shit you know <laughs> like I like going to the gym too dude but like but like I, I, I guess people walk in and think like, well, if I'm already here three hours a day, I guess I should get paid for it. Like, <laughs> that's the attitude, and the, like, and hopefully, hopefully it evolves past that, you know. But for a lot of people, that's just where they get stuck. Yeah, you know, they never progress beyond that point. They're literally in the gym as a trainer because they didn't want to have to dress professionally. You know, they don't think of themselves in a professional manner. And, you know, by you know, in their mode of thinking, well, this is easy because I like to exercise, so I'm going to have someone else exercise, and I'll get 20 bucks an hour. And, and there's a big difference between, like, liking to do something and making it your vocation in life. Like, oh, literally yeah. having that mastery that we've been talking about and just making sure that that's what you live on a day-to-day, and that's, like, your goal forever. Not yeah. just, like, all right, you know, I'm going to go train some clients, like, look at myself in the mirror. Like, that doesn't cut it anymore. No, it, it doesn't. I mean, and that's 
I mean, that's the reason not to talk shit about personal training. I get I me, mean, you could do it all day, but that's why 99% of the industry is this, is this crappy or that. That's why personal trainers have a bad reputation, you know, just in general. You know, like a knowledge base is at all time high. I, w- I would say that experience and having good people in the field is at all time high. But at the same time, the overall majority of people that do this are lackadaisical. They're not serious about it. And they get into this because they just want to be able to get a free gym membership and not really work in anything and wear sweats. <laughs> yeah, and they're, those, those people are pretty fucking worthless. You know, speaking of wearing sweats, uh, two guys that I think uh, I'm speaking for you here, but you uh, had a really big influence on you, you know, yeah. Dave, Tate, and John. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those are two different personalities, but they get such great results and they have such great respect from pretty much everybody. They do. How do you think, uh, you know, lessons from them have made you into the coach and the person that you currently are, you know, doing all the great things that you're currently doing? It was, it's, it's been two things. The, the reason, the reason why I was drawn to John in the first place, or the reason why I, I'll, say, I'll start with Dave. The reason why I was drawn to Dave Tate and Elite TS in the first place when I started reading the website was that this was a guy that obviously he was a powerlifter. He was into lifting. Like that was his life. You know, I was like what he did in that fashion, but it was his life. Not because just not, not just because of the weights, but because it meant more to him beyond being in the gym. It carried over into his friendships. It carried over into his relationships. It carried over into his spirituality. It carried over into his application to himself and his work and to reaching out to people, reaching others. It was not just physical. It was physical and it was mental and it was emotional and spiritual. It was across all things. And that was where I, you know, I first encountered his writing. I could see that really very strongly come through. I was like, wow, this is someone that is is a complete person. You know, not not a perfect person, but they're a complete person, and they're trying to always be evolving. It was very, it was very apparent. Absolutely, I look at Dave as somebody that really uses training as a metaphor for life. Yes, and he literally just goes after every single thing the same way. The, the way he does one thing is the way he's done everything, and I got that exact same feeling every single time, even current day when I read something that comes out of Dave. Mm-hmm. And then, it, like, and same thing with John. It, like, it was similar. Obviously, John is a bodybuilder, but you know, re, whereas most bodybuilders, like, the, you know, the information, the articles you can read, the content, it's you know, it's very generic. It's cliched. This is how. This is what I do for back. This, this is my, you know, my where the fuck, you know, bat wing, bat back builder workout. Yeah, you know, there, there are training articles galore by tons of guys that you know, they probably didn't even write them. You know, but then John, he released his training, his sort of ideas about training back in I want to say 2009, 2010. And, you know, same thing. I was struck by this guy that, you know, he was obviously very intelligent. He was very systemized in what he wrote. And he tied it in with his, you know, sort of, he tied it in, like I said, you know, with his with his work. He tied it in with, you know, his overall, you know, continuum of progression. He understood and he spoke to the fact that this was a process. And I could tell, you know, before, you know, and not that John writes a lot of philosophical articles, but I could tell this from reading his work, this was someone that had really considered training and had really considered hypertrophy and had really considered the continuity on a different level, you know, beyond that of, you know, you could argue the conventional bro bodybuilder. And the more I read his articles and then, you know, and then he tied into, he tied into nutrition obviously as well. He tied in, you know, he talked about his experience in the gym with clients and what he was doing and his rationale or lack thereof for what he was doing. And he would readily acknowledge the fact. And that really drew me to him for the, you know, the the similar reasons for Dave. I'm like, this is someone that has made himself a specialty of something and he's not specialized to the point of being, you know, paradigm blind. He's specialized in such a way that his ability to see other perspectives is why he is who he is and why he improves. Absolutely. And, you know, those two guys, they're definitely moving this field way forward, you know, really advancing what we're currently doing. And I think there's a lot of guys like you and I that have been heavily impacted that are going to continue to do these same things. Yeah, and I'd like to, I'd like to think so. I mean, people, I you know, per, personal training, you know, in fitness, and obviously this is my niche. There's a lot, there's usually like this very like I said earlier, very nebulous sense of like you know, how do I get better? What's the long term? What do I do in five years? How's how's it going in ten years? And you know, there are there are men, there are people obviously like Dave and like John that you know have created a career out of this, and they're very upstanding and they're 
you know, they're very impressive in their knowledge base and what they have to offer. And they're, they truly are masters of this and they have something to teach. And, you know, you know, even though you might think that there's a lack of direction for people that are getting into the field, I realized when I saw the both of them, not that I wanted to copy their lives, but you can take this, you can take this passion, you can take the work that you do, and you can turn it into something substantial. You can create a legacy of it. You can, you can, and you absolutely do have the capability to make a very meaningful and passion-filled life from it. And, you know, with a little direction and some learning, obviously on, you know, the individual end, anything's possible. That's, that's a powerful statement there too. Um, literally, if you do the right stuff for long enough, anything is possible. Now, what do you have coming down the pipeline? What's on the docket for this year, 2016? Um, oh boy. Uh, what, what should I share? What should I not share? <laughs> um, I, I, I'm pretty open about stuff. There are certain things I have like them. Okay, well, I, so the immediate thing, um, I will be going back to India, uh, I believe this coming month in October for the, the film that my client was in. So that's going to be sort of like an excursion of itself. Not necessarily training related, but also training related. I will be going back to India. Um, I, have, I have some things planned with a very good uh, bro, buddy bro of mine, Trevor Cashy. We're going to be... We're gonna, we're gonna, we're, we're, we have some ventures and stuff that we're looking at doing that is uh, going to be, I guess we'll, I'll probably talk about more later on in the year, but we are going to be working together. Um, relative to myself, I am actually getting back more into hands-on training. You know, I've, I've been working in the online space for the past year, and I brought my client load down to a total minimum. In regards to in-person people, I'm going to be bringing that back up to seeing a lot more clients, obviously, on a physical basis for a, a couple of reasons. Uh, there is some stuff happening in Florida, which is tentative, but it's going to, in regards to facility and some long-term, creating, like a, creating an integrated healthcare facility. Trevor and I have some plans for that in Florida that we're just starting right now. So I'll probably talk about, I'll talk more about that process as it goes along. A lot of the stuff is, very, like I said, very tentative. With Mountain Dog, there is, we do have a cookbook of sorts, uh, a cooking treaties that I think is going to come out this year, if not this year, next year, that I spent the summer working on. So there's that. Uh, man, that's else? a lot of shit you got going on, yeah, man. I, this, is, like, this is exciting me over here. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, there's that. Like, I have some collaborations I'm doing with a couple of people. Which it's, I'm not going to say names, but I do have some collaborations with stuff that is going to happen next year. So... it. I know this is this is the most vague fucking answer. I've stuff. <laughs> well, it's cool. I'm I just dominating the world for the next year or two. Now, Alexander, where can people yeah. find more about you? I know we mentioned EliteFTS.com, but how about uh, your social media, your personal site? Yeah. Um, so obviously, I saw EliteFTS. I am on obviously the Mountain Dog Diet site as well. I do have a personal website, which is just my full name, Alexander Juan Antonio Cortez. Um, that is not training related. That's just general philosophical dialogue and just different aspects that I just like to talk about um, for a whole bunch of reasons, which I, th I, th I just I'll say shortly talking about the philosophical meaning of why people do things and why we behave and learn all that that can have just as much impact as training in the gym does. You know, like training, you know, the you know, the, you know obviously the metaphor of training, you know, tra training is a metaphor for life. Life is a metaphor for training. So I have that site. Online on Facebook, again, full name, Alexander Juan Antonio Cortez. And then uh, if anyone wants to reach me by email, my work email is uh, Cortez, C-O-R-T-S, dot Ajax, A-J-A-X, dot training at gmail.com. That would be another avenue if you want reach out to me directly. I appreciate that, man. And I hope you guys do take Alexander up on that offer. And definitely check out his articles coming out on mountaindogdiet.com, elitefts.com, because it is some good shit as always. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. But, uh, <laughs> no, thank, thank you. No, I'm you're a, one, of the, one of the few guys that I make sure if you come out with something fresh, even if it's a Facebook post, I make sure to read that because I don't want to be out of the loop on things. Cool. No, that's that's good to know. Actually, I, I always I always kind of wonder at the same time. Obviously, I, I share a lot of stuff. I'm like, who who reads this? I know I <laughs> people do, but 
I'm always curious. So yeah, absolutely, man. It's been fun. Thank you so much. And oh, I'm you. sure the listeners appreciate it as well. I hope so, man. Thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate this. All right. You got it, man. Take it easy. Take it easy, Jen. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And since recording this, Alexander has moved down to Relentless Performance in Florida and is doing extremely well, training more clients in person and continuing on writing, speaking, and doing his thing. We wish Alexander all the best and thank him for coming on Strength Doc Podcast today. All right, guys. Until next week, I'm Dr. John Russin with Strength Doc Podcast, hosted by UpDoc Media. Thank you.